Hello and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Turp, a counsellor, trainer and writer. And I'm Paul Gorns, a careers advisor, trainer and lecturer. And this is How We Care. Conversations about what it takes to help people for a living. We are two experienced and committed helping professionals who are passionate about finding the best ways to take care of the people we help through our work and to support helping professionals to take care of themselves. So if you're a counsellor, careers advisor, coach, social worker, medical professional, a learning and development or HR professional or any other skilled helper or aspire to be one, this podcast is for you. Let's reflect on how we care. Hello out there and welcome to episode 10 of How We Care and we've got an interesting topic this time. We always have interesting topics I think but um, this is one as we've been talking about for a while and it's about um, can AI replace jobs like ours? Um, I suppose other questions are should AI replace jobs like ours even if it can? And will AI replace jobs like ours? Um, and I guess one thing we'd say at the start is um, neither of us would profess to be um, complete experts on AI. Um, we know that it's developing at a rapid pace um, and a search online will reveal lots and lots of articles which list jobs that are in danger of being taken over by AI. Um, and the odd list of jobs that uh, won't be taken over by AI. Um, and probably what when you read enough of them, you will find differences of opinion on that. Um, I found a quote by uh, a computer scientist called Alan Perlis, and he said, there is no reason and no way that a human mind can keep up with an artificial intelligence machine by 2035. Mm. Um, uh, another thing I found out about Alan Perlis was he died in 1990. So this prediction was made over 30 years ago. <clears throat> Obviously, there have been huge developments in artificial intelligence and technology since then. So I was looking at uh, a potted history of some of the research. So around 2003, there were confident predictions that uh, low-level jobs uh, manual jobs which didn't require a lot of uh, analytical thinking were the main jobs that were in danger of being superseded by AI. Uh, by 2013, so within 10 years, there were more and more people saying that higher level jobs could be in danger. Um, and if you look at some of the videos by people like Yuval Noah Harari, um, I suppose he's an historian, but also a futurist, um, he's got a video uh, on YouTube called How AI Doctors Can Change the Healthcare System, talking about um, the level of sophistication of AI now in terms of being able to diagnose conditions and perhaps even read emotions. Um, and there's another video called The Future of Humanity, which goes into that in some detail as well. So some of it, some of the stuff you'll find is reassuring. Some of it is a bit scary. Um, but I think what Elizabeth and I are going to try and argue today is that AI won't replace us or shouldn't replace us because of the unique characteristics of the work that we do with people. So Elizabeth, yeah. what do you think from a counselling perspective? Wow. Okay. Well, I think so many things. So as usual, there's all kinds of ways we could go with this, but I suppose just to sort of carry on from something you were saying there, when there's like lists of what kinds of jobs will not be required anymore because artificial intelligence can do it cheaper or better or whatever, make people redundant. There's something that, that quite often is stated to be, very unlikely to be replaced or even impossible to replace which completely maps onto the kind of helping professions that this podcast is about and that's what what's currently still kind of derisively called soft skills or even female skills 
things like empathy <laughs> and you know just being generally decent person um so often things like therapy are, are stated to be the th what what will actually not only not be replaced by ai but become more valued so that the types of inter interpersonal skills you know that you're you're using your job and lots and lots of our listeners using all kinds of different healthcare and helping jobs are are pretty difficult to rep replicate and so that that's always been quite reassuring to me because obviously i'm well aware of what what it is that works in the work that we do and we talk about that a lot and we'll, we'll kind of expand on that but yeah that's that's what i've kind of come across when i've read a bit into this that actually these these jobs not only might they survive they might become the thing that we care we we value the most in society whereas at the moment let's be honest a lot of the skills that are used in what are predominantly female professions still like nursing and social work and therapy are not valued as highly as some of the skills in other professions and the re i mean the main way we know that is they're not paid as much and so you know if that shift was to happen that would be quite interesting because some of the jobs well all the jobs that, that this podcast are about are, are absolutely vital to society and they bring some of the most positive benefits but they're not necessarily valued that that well so yeah that's the first thing that comes up for me what do you think about that yeah i think there's i think there's a lot in that um, going back to that quote I said at the start, that Alan Perlis quote, no reason and no way that a human mind can keep up with artificial intelligence machine. Mm. And I wonder when talking about the mind, yes. whether that's really about logic, it's about deduction, it's about making decisions without biases, uh -huh. all of which are really valuable. And you know, some some of it's about the elimination of error that comes comes with the, mm -hmm. the human mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's something deeper than that in terms of um, it's not just mind, but maybe it's heart. It's maybe absolutely. It's, it's um, from a client's perspective, the feeling that I'm being listened to, I'm being understood. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm dealing with somebody who can understand what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And as some of our previous episodes, like we, we had an episode on turning scars into service, didn't we? Yeah, well, we yeah. talked about a lot of people in, in, in jobs like ours can empathise with our clients because we've been through not exactly what they've been through, definitely, you know, necessarily, but variation mm -hmm. on that. So yeah, we, we, something. Understand those, we understand yeah. Yeah. failure or worry or anxiety or illness. Um, yeah. We're human. Yeah, and I think an artificial intelligence, an artificially intelligent, um, what what would you call it, machine or robot? Yeah, uh, has has never been hurt, has never experienced panic or anxiety, has never experienced losing a job, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. And I think for some, well, probably for most clients. Um, while we don't necessarily share our direct experiences with them, normally we won't. Um, I think we've discussed this before that often they sense that we understand because yeah. we the human life ourselves and experience the ups and downs. Absolutely. Well, it's connection on a, on a really deep level. And we have spoken about that a lot, haven't we? But it's also, I'm going to say it again, and I've said it in other episodes, it's controversial. But it's actually love as well. Even if the therapist or practitioner doesn't see it like that themselves, really, really good practitioners, therapists have a genuine love for humans, for the work that they're doing. And that that kind of flows through. I mean, if we don't want to use the word love, we can use the word care. You know, we can use whatever word we want to use for it. But it is it is a really deep human thing that you're you're offering to a person and it and the way that you're doing that is very 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 nuanced that's what's coming up for me as well with this that if even if you could get an ai bot or whatever it is to really kind of take a lot of information in is it ever going to be sophisticated enough to know all the different layers of things that can be felt all at once for example you know like a person can logically know something and at the same time have a completely opposite emotion about that thing 
and not understand why. I mean, this comes up in the work I do all the time. So somebody will have a really deep wound from emotional wound from childhood that gets triggered in certain situations. And intellectually, because often we kind of over time we become adults and we get kind of trained into thinking logically and rationally about things and we disconnect from our emotions. So we'll walk around the world going, well, I must be okay because I know why that happened and I know why that happened, but not actually engaging with the root of the problem that's driving the, the, the distress because we're so disconnected from it. Now, can an AI do that? Can the AI work on that? You know, because what's actually coming up for me and this, I've had a lot of reflections on this, which I'll expand on later in the episode. Some therapies that humans deliver now only work on the superficial thought level that we've ju- I've just been talking about right. and they do not work for somebody who has more complex and I'm saying they don't work at all by the way before anyone comes back at me they don't work if a person is not intellectually aware of the underlying causes and emotions because you have to go deeper you have to find a way to almost resolve the disconnect between what a person's thinking and what a person's feeling. And, and, you know, that is highly sophisticated stuff. And it's not even, it's not done all on a thought level. Some of it's done on a bodily level. Sometimes you have to kind of use all kinds of different techniques to bypass the conscious mind to get to that, that therapists use. And, you know, it's, it's very complex stuff. And main thing that AI may not be able to do that that each we we certainly both do not all practitioners do this but i know we do because we've spoken about so much is we individualize every single interaction to that person yeah in in a highly complex way don't we do you want to say more more on that yeah well i i think from a from a career practitioner's perspective that there will always be different levels of interaction and there will be levels of interaction where somebody wants something uh, and I suppose I'll describe it as fairly transactional so they'll say Mm -hmm. you know and I've I've got a plan I've got I know what I want to do um they might be applying for a job and they just want some support with the practicalities of applying for for that job or they may have decided I want to go into accountancy so I need information on the different branches of accountancy and how I qualify so in, in some of those interactions that level of kind of depth may, may not be needed. But in, in, in the example of somebody who says, <clears throat> um, I've just made, been made redundant, I feel terrible, I don't know what to do with my life. And, um, uh, you know, so I need to, to think about what's next. Um, that's a problem that requires labour market information, it requires logic, it requires advice about the working world but it also um, requires supporting and hearing that person's individual situation because Mm -hmm. before it can move on and do the practical stuff um, there's a recognition of a whole host of things that they have they are having to deal with in that situation um, where a lot of what they need is reassurance um, the, the sense of being heard um, a recognition of their skills and their values and how yeah. those uh, will be able to take them forward in mm. some sort of future direction. Um, and so, yeah, we keep getting, getting back to that thing about the level of depth in terms of of the kind of, of issues that are going on for people mm-hmm. and helping them to identify those so they can be supported to um, make decisions, move forward, restore some confidence, perhaps all yeah. those sort of things. And from their perspective, as we as we keep saying, it's that sense of I'm I'm being dealt with by a human being who has the training and the expertise and the empathy mm-hmm. um, and the love or the care to to help me. Um, yeah. which you can't get from interacting with even the most sophisticated um, technological intervention, I guess. Mm. And what you're talking about in that is we are pro- able to provide a space 
it comes back to the person-centered episode that we did we're providing a space for that person to explore and work out what they feel because often people don't know what they feel about the situation they're overwhelmed yeah. they're like oh my god i mean in that example someone's made redundant they don't know what's, what's going to happen they've got all these fears they they sometimes need support to actually explore what they feel about that and why you yeah. know and that and because it's so multifaceted and so you have to have some interaction whether it's ai or it's a human that allows that kind of unpredictable um outpouring of whatever without any comeback that's predictable so and that is that's why we were talking about the courage of the person-centered approach in our episode on that weren't we because it's not like i'm now thinking about i mean you know as you said at the beginning we're not experts on ai but what i do know about certain kind of manualized therapies which we'll talk a bit about you know which have a similar kind of thing is if a response something a human says then has a series of possible responses that either the therapist or the ai could come back with now that takes you down a narrow path even if there's multiple responses three so let i don't know for example so if some if somebody uses a particular word like panic or something that then potentially leads to all kinds of different words now you could go down a narrow path if it's if the ai bot or whoever whatever it is only is is programmed to respond in a certain way to that word whereas we might pick up as you know highly sensitive kind of empathic people they might use a particular word but the tone of voice or the context or lots of other things we're picking up on even what their face is doing when they're saying it doesn't actually fit with the word they've just used now can the ai pick that up maybe it could in the future maybe maybe they'll get to that level maybe they'll be able to get to that level but you know that's i mean i couldn't even tell you how i do that sometimes like sometimes i just know something and I, I, I just know it. I don't know why I know it, because I don't know why I know it, because I know it because I'm reading multiple cues from the person's body language. And, you know, yes. not, that's not just the word. That's very reductive. Yeah. You know, so that's. So so there's a, there's a lot of in, intuitive responses that come from. Absolutely. Background and training and, and, and our approach. And our humanity as well. You know, I mean, not not every human has this ability obviously but yeah it's, it's a highly honed you know our skills are highly honed and you know developed to well hopefully some of the highest that a human can do i'm sure there's people who are much more advanced but you know we're, we're like you know on the higher levels of that i guess um you know and that and that, yeah it's just it's very it's also a lot about being with and i think this is what you were getting at as well isn't it it's being being met on a really deep level feeling like you're seen and heard and accepted and that it's actually okay to say whatever the person needs to say now this leads me to another point which there's so many things here I don't, i'm trying to be very clear but there's so many different elements so i can probably best illustrate this using the experiences of people i know who've seen not very good poorly trained therapists so humans who have been trained to deliver manualized therapies, but they're not very well-trained therapists. So this, this illustrates why this is so important. So I know somebody in particular, so I'll try and think of that specific example, not, not a client of mine, somebody I know in my own personal life, who saw somebody who was delivering a manualized therapy. And they had the experience that, every time they mentioned something that was particularly risky and difficult for them that was in their experience the therapist was just following their training they weren't doing anything that they hadn't been told to do you know so but they they would give this exact same response every single time this person mentioned something it's actually suicidal thoughts you know i'm not giving i'm not giving anyone's identity away by saying that this person would mention their suicidal thoughts on different sessions and the therapist every single time came back with oh you you know have you spoken to the samaritans or have you done this like 
like a robot. This person told me the person was like a robot. And even though this person had told the therapist on multiple occasions, not just what their suicidal thoughts consisted of, so there wasn't any immediate risk, you know, it was something that they lived with, you know, they, they kind of learned to manage it, but the person couldn't integrate that into their response and kind of kept rabbiting this same response back to them. And in, in the end, they, they, they just felt so unheard. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible example, but it's also a really good example because they were like being very, very open and raw and telling this human that they were having these awful thoughts and, and they were getting back. Not only were they not being fully heard or engaged with, they're actually getting something that actively didn't hear what they were saying back over and over and over again this happened and you know luckily this person is is quite sophisticated themselves and they you know they could handle it but i'm giving you this example because this happens a lot in manualized human therapies where the person who's delivering the work hasn't had the sufficient training to be able to sit with the uncertainty to be able to open up the space and really let the person talk they kind of have to revert back to if this is said to me, I must say this, regardless of whether you said it 10 times already and it wasn't relevant, just keep saying it again, 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 again. And that is really damaging. Like, you know, for my person I know, wasn't as damaging as it would have been for someone who didn't understand all of that. You know, someone who's like, that's their first example of trying to seek help. A, are they ever going to seek help again from a therapist? And B, that can actually exacerbate the problem that they've brought because then then going, hang on a minute, I'm telling this person like the deepest, most painful thing I've ever told anybody and they're not listening to me. What does that mean? You know, what does it mean about me? Does it mean I'm horrible, repulsive? Does it mean I don't, I'm not worth listening to? There's so many things that if you're already not feeling great about yourself, <laughs> that can kind of make worse yeah and it and it sounds like um without knowing the individuals involved that um the therapist in this situation it's not that they don't care or aren't trying to help it's just that they're not equipped absolutely to yeah. help beyond yeah. that very narrow training yeah. and that very narrow set of responses yeah uh, yeah I mean, I think it, it's not AI so much, but it's it, it's it's technology. Uh, there, there have been there's a history of um, different applications, online applications, uh, software that people can mm -hmm. put in uh, answers to questions related to tasks and uh, you know um, things that they're interested in and things that they're good at, and, mm -hmm. and they can come up with a list of of suggested job titles for people to explore um what those things never really do is is bring people to a decision or a kind of deeper consideration of mm. why they might want to do one job or another they're mm -hmm. incredibly mm -hmm. useful in the right circumstances for generating ideas to start thinking and to start mm -hmm. conversations but often that they're in the context of people uh, wanting to have guidance around mm. those choices. Yeah. Um, so if you if you take it to the next level to uh, what AI can do, um, I think there are. I think this is a this is a, a thing. I suppose it's worth considering is um, not will or can AI replace us, but can AI um, free us up to do the more, the deeper parts of our jobs better? So um, I know about uh, some current work which is being done by a um, practitioner in the careers field, Dr. Deirdre Hughes. Mm. Um, she leads the International Centre for Guidance Studies at Derby University. And she's developing a chatbot for careers called CC, which is CICI. Hmm. Um, and reading a recent article that she's published on that, which I'll put in the show notes. But hmm. um, she, what she's very clear about is this is not replacing career guidance professionals. This is mm -hmm. helping career guidance professionals to focus on the deeper interactions with clients 
so what what she says that the chat bot is useful for is for dealing with frequently asked questions Mm -hmm. um, or giving access to labor market information that can Mm -hmm. help a person think about um how realistic or appealing or accessible a particular um, career opportunities are so I guess that's the other thing isn't it because I think there's a lot of fear about AI um about the the idea of our robots going to take my job and the the wider implications on Mm. society which Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we don't have time to go into but I think there's also potentially tremendous opportunities Mm. through um, the um, application of AI in particular ways where we have some control and can say, oh, actually, if if I've got a a chatbot that can deal with some of that that initial stuff that clients want to know, or maybe after after we've had a conversation referring them to um, the chatbot, but um, Deirdre's work also, in, the chatbot includes the option of referring someone on mm-hmm. for more detailed guidance for a human conversation. Yeah, yeah. So you need to bring in some level of individualization and assessment. This is reminding me of the whole kind of history of, well, my experience of what's happened in counselling services over the course of my professional career, um, which kind of I think yeah I think it is really relevant because it's about what you're saying there is if somebody yeah there is of course there is a place for AI I'm glad you said that we're not sitting and going oh god it's terrible of course there is <laughs> but it's like everything else it has to be the right place and if it's the wrong place it can do damage so when I first started working in the NHS which was oh god yeah about 20 years ago I worked in a counseling service at that time because counseling was the dominant thing that was offered Um, And every client that got referred into the service at that point was triaged and matched with the therapist whose experience most suited their individual presentation. Right. It was a beautiful thing. It was it worked because in the service, there was not only vastly different levels of experience, but that was my first proper therapy job. So I wasn't that experienced. Um, But I did have areas of specialism because I've worked in other fields. Um, you know, the the manager would triage people to the correct therapist. And that was a beautiful thing. And then over time, services changed. And um, just towards the end of the time that I was working there, after it had become an IAP service, they changed the model so that everybody who presented to the service had to go through the first level. So the first level is the least experienced therapists doing not only the assessment but also delivering first line treatments which can you know again for some people that's enough so you know somebody with very mild anxiety who doesn't really understand their anxiety can get a lot from manualized therapy but in my experience the majority of clients presenting for health mental health care in the NHS were certainly in the area I was working in were much more complex than that And in order to access the more experienced therapists, they had to go through a course of treatment. I think it was at the time, it's changed a lot now, by the way, this is about eight years ago. So I'm not speaking about what the NHS do right now. I don't know that. At that time when it was all kind of evolving, you had to have the six sessions of manualized therapy before you could access somebody like me who could individualize the treatment. And often these people had already been waiting up to a year just to see that person. So it was kind of, they'd removed the individualization of first intervention. And that was, that was damaging because, you know, you've got, when you've waited a lot for treatment, whether it's, you know, any kind of health treatment, you're, you, when you ask for help, you need help. By the time you get the help, you can be completely and utterly desperate for help by that point. If you are then met with someone who cannot engage with you in the way that you need them to engage with you emotionally that that can be de- absolutely devastating I mean I've experienced that as a, as a patient with physical health stuff the difference between speaking to a doctor who has a huge degree of empathy and is able to hear 
what I've got to say and really listen to it compared to somebody who's already decided what they're going to do before they've even met you, which I've also experienced, is like, it, uh, I kind of like, <laughs> I'm getting these visual images now. The first one, this is, this is going to sound really wacky, but the first one is like moving into the sunlight in a beautiful meadow and feeling like so warm and cared for and wonderful. The second one is like the end of the world and doom and grey and awful and like, 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 like you've just had all the life sucked out of you. It's that different. Like, which one of those do you think is healing? <laughs> <laughs> and when I say healing, that's also interesting. There's a, we haven't got time to go into this, but there's a lot of research around the, the, the element of healing, whether it's mental health or physical health, that comes from the interactions you're having with your caregivers, your therapists, your doctors, whoever it is. That is part of the healing process. If that's part of the healing process and you can't get that, simple but yet quite complex warmth and empathy it's not going to be as healing as it is if the ai or the person or whoever can provide you with those conditions and there's loads of evidence i mean i'll just say one more thing i could go on all day about this i'm trying not to take over but the, the overwhelming evidence in therapy counseling psychotherapy is it's not the theory it's not the theoretical approach or the training as a therapist that predicts outcomes it's the therapeutic relationship it's the working alliance between the client and the therapist that is the main predictor of outcomes if that's the main predictor of outcomes then that tells us a lot about the human interaction the bond the connection that is what benefits it's not you know this therapy is better than that therapy. none of that that's all been just dis debunked i mean you might not know that if you don't dig into the research because some therapies have had a lot more research put into them than others but actually if you do if you look at the meta-analysis of all all the therapy research that's been done you will find that no, no one comes out better than the other it's the therapeutic relationship it's the relationship you have with your careers clients it's you know whoever whatever you're doing that's the predictor and that's what we're talking about because we're talking about humanity, aren't we? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, a few days ago, I was uh, observing um, some trainee careers advisors Ooh. doing client interviews with each other. So it's peer training. So they'll they'll play a role. So they're, they're, mm. they're their younger self and they're going through a particular de dilemma that they've had. Um, and I, and I, I, based on... On, on those kind of observations, I would absolutely concur 100% with what you've just said, that um, a lot of my feedback is around saying to them, you know, you established a particular atmosphere and a particular, uh, you, 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 you very early on, the, the client knows this person is on my side, this person is listening to me, uh, this person understands and whatever happens afterwards, whatever information is exchanged, whatever discussion there is around possible career paths or choices um, is made better by that. Mm -hmm. The rapport that's created between the person and the, and the trust, the, the, the people and the trust between the advisor and the client. Yeah. I, I think as well, um, you, you you said uh, at the start I think something around which is really interesting around the more AI comes into play the, the more things AI is applied to and and you know as we've said there are lots of ways in that 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 that's going to be incredibly beneficial to society um the more uh roles that for want of a better word empaths do um the the human interaction is is going to be more valued mm -hmm. than probably it is now and that that's an interesting thought and it and it's interesting I, there's there's something on the level of um people going around the, about their daily business so for example where you go into say um 
a supermarket now, increasingly, um, you're almost steered towards the automated job, mm. aren't you? Mm. And um, I think I'm one of those who prefers to see a person, part, partly because I think I might mess up on the checkout, <laughs> but also because there's value in that kind of, you know, when you're out and about, just the human interaction. And, and um, I can't remember where I saw this, but I know there's been, you know, people who've, who've written about or talked about uh, people who live on their own mm-hmm. um, and, you know, don't have any humor inter- human interaction at home, really thrive on those short conversations that they might have with someone at the checkout. If, that, if the person on the checkout is friendly and warm mm-hmm. and, and prepared to engage in conversation, uh, that can be an enormous boost for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it does kind of reinforce that um, the automated checkouts might make things more efficient. I think that's arguable in itself. But the idea behind them is efficiency, isn't it? It's about cutting yeah. down time. It's probably about cutting down cost and mm. all of that. But um, the experience of the customer, you know, I guess some customers will say, well, I don't want to talk to someone. I just want mm-hmm. to get them mm-hmm. go. Uh, but for other people, that way, that won't be the same. I know this is different to talking about counselling and careers guidance and those kind of more in-depth conversations, but it does touch on that, the importance of kind of human interaction and, and, and not to underestimate the value that that gives, even in short bursts of activity with a stranger. Absolutely. No, I love the fact you've said that because I'm the same. I, I like, I love those little interactions of like chatting with the person on the till or chatting with someone at the bus stop it's like a micro dose of human interaction and actually it can I mean I suppose we've all been maybe more exposed to this than usual in the last couple of years that the value of those things yeah that that can actually really boost your mood if you're having a bit of a rough day and you're like feeling a bit down uh, and and then you have like a little chat with somebody there's a little bit of banter there's a bit I mean you know okay full disclosure everyone who doesn't live in Liverpool we live in Liverpool where it's normal to chat (laughs) like in other parts of the country maybe not so much in other countries but we have a culture here where people just chat to each other a lot and it's lovely and you know and so that can it can make your day I absolutely love it I seek it out I'm just like you I totally don't like any kind of you know manualized type of you know electronic counters or anything like I like to see people I like to interact with people yeah you're right I love it because that is human interaction it's so important and yeah and and mentioning the people who live on their own it's not only that it's also that they actually have less they have a like they, they die sooner don't they because they don't have as much interaction because it like human interaction is actually good for our health you know in yes. all kinds of ways so these these are you know, these are really big important issues so they're important in the topic of this podcast which is about helping professional professionals but it's also important in any other type of interaction as well and I think there's a really worrying thing going on in my profession at the moment which is kind of related it's it I mean again I love the fact you brought up the thing about supermarkets because it's a similar thing that's going on in my profession where some big corporations are trying to make services that are on the surface look good because they're more accessible they're cheaper um, they're quicker to access there are lots and lots of things like that but they're actually falling more into they're actually about the profit motive so they're about corporations trying to make as much money as possible like a supermarket is trying to cut staff costs by having unstaffed tills obviously isn't it these corporations are trying to like make as much money as humanly possible they have got human therapists, so it's not, you know, but they're, they're, they're doing it. I mean, it's like people are actually calling it the Uberization of therapy. Um, and so they're making services which are not very well managed. Um, they don't have very many boundaries. And the therapists working for them are very are underpaid and 
made to work ridiculous amount of hours in order to make a living. So the quality of the interactions that a, a client might get, even though in, you know there's lots of upsides to it, you can access it from your home. There's you know there's all kinds of things like that. The quality of the interactions that they might get from that are not going to be as good because of the conditions under which yeah. it's kind of being delivered. And so that's that's happening quite a lot in my profession where there's like there's like a drive down in in a way for a lot of a lot of people and because there's far more therapists than there is work as well it, it, it's a problem because people need to make a living so some people are kind of getting sucked into working in these ways because they need to make money not really <clears throat> fully realizing the implications it's going to have for their ability to work in the way that they've been trained to and that they would like to so that's a big problem as well if the practitioner can't offer the conditions and feel you know basically i mean we're going to be talking about this in our next episode feeling well enough and in balance enough as a person to deliver a good quality of connection and empathy if that starts to drop the quality of work you're going to do will start to drop especially if you have to overwork in order to make a living so if you're seeing too many people you know and all of that you will then start to feel like you're a bit of a robot churning it out not able to fully open up everything and sit with the uncertainty and as your stress levels rise you are less able to offer all the things that we're talking about so i think all of this even though we're talking about humans and a lot of what we're talking about it it it, it indicates where the flaws and the, the lacks might be in any ai development because AI doesn't have all that subtlety, but it, it but it lacks a lot of the things that we're talking about that are important. And so that yeah, that's that's a worrying. Well, there's many worrying things, but that's one of the really big because you can already see. I guess all the points I'm making are about the fact you can already see how damaging this can be if it's not done right. Yeah, that's, that's the thread that runs through for me. And that's yeah. I'm talking about humans. I'm talking about humans who are not doing it in the way that's the, like the, the ideal yeah. way yeah so there's the technology the 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 application of technology and the risks to empathy and 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 i love that phrase you use the micro dose of uh, mm. micro dose of human contact yeah <laughs> um and i think um one of the things about pursuing efficiency, I guess, is in a sped up society is things, things we're required to do things faster when often what's needed is some slowing down. Absolutely. Yes. But maybe that's an, another topic again. Oh, no, that that's one. No, that's absolutely wonderful. That's, but that's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it? Because when we we sit with a person and often their mind is fast, you know, when we first meet a person. You know, and, and for maybe slightly different reasons, but often the desperation and the overwhelm and the complexity that they're bringing into the room. I, like the first session that I have with clients, they'll often say to me at the end of the session, oh, I, I don't, you know, I don't know where all that came from. Or I don't. They, they will feel like they've just dumped a load of this is their words, not mine, by the way. They feel like they've dumped a load of mess that makes no sense out but it actually, it all makes sense, you know, but that's just to illustrate how their mind feels at the beginning of that yeah. interaction, you yeah. know, and that, that, that we can sit with that because we, you know, we're trained and we've developed the ability to sit with that, not only sit with it, accept it and then offer something back. Like we can say, Oh, well, you know, you're saying to me that you're worried that I've just vomited all over you, but actually this you've told me this this and this and then you can tell them that actually what they've just said makes a lot of sense and that i mean that that in itself is really a, a, a beautiful thing for people because then they're like oh hang on wow maybe it's not going to be so bad as what i think you know i think we've got to the point where we um are fairly sure that there are well we're certain there are things that we do that um, would be very difficult to replicate mm -hmm. with AI. And so much of that is about, <clears throat> from the client perspective, um, being able to interact with a, an understanding and empathic human being. So um, if we're worried about AI, we're not that worried about it. 
from the point of view of of our roles yeah i think so yeah i think i think i'm worried about the profession as a whole because i think it like some of this stuff is creeping up from the bottom so I'm worried about it in terms of what what kind of quality of services some people yeah. will, because that's another thing about accessibility, of course, isn't it? That if you can, you know, and this is what's wrong with the, the world as a whole. If you can't afford to pay for quality services, because unfortunately, even in the UK now where we, you know, we have a public health system, it's the waiting lists are so long for mental health support that a lot of people can't wait and they end up going private. If you can only afford the cheapest options which are now, as I said before, becoming these big kind of corporate delivered services that are accessed online. They may still be in-person or, you know, video call therapy with a human, but the way they're managed is very depersonalised. If that becomes all that someone can afford in a quite a big income bracket, that's not okay, is it? It's not okay that you have to be quite well off to access the type of quality that we're describing and that I, I do feel that no not now obviously there's a huge pool of really really wonderful therapists now that are affordable so I'm not in any way saying that's where we're up to I'm just worried that it's going to go that way you know because it's not okay it's in, in any way shape or form is it so I think there's a lot of problems and they're all driven all of what we're talking about is driven by money and you know people wanting to deliver things cheaply when you know health is the most important thing that we have as humans and it shouldn't be the profit motive shouldn't be the thing that drives development and and, you know it it breaks my heart every day that that is what's happening and I mean obviously it's been happening for a long time but it's kind of you know it's it's not okay and it's doing a lot of damage you know and it is relevant it is relevant to artificial intelligence and how that might be used and, you know, how we need to, I think we've done, you know, a fairly good job today of identifying some of the issues around that, haven't we? Even though, as you say, we're not, certainly not experts in it, but we do know what is required and what would be required to make that work, I think. And at the moment, I, yeah, maybe a finishing thought for me is at the moment, I've encountered enough robotic humans in healthcare to know that that is not the way to go so, you know not i've also encountered a huge amount of wonderful empathic humans but as as a professional and as a patient i've had enough bad experiences with people who have overtly well even willfully not listened to what i've got to say and dismissed me and you know that's done me damage sometimes literally medical damage over time that that yeah it's it's a good reason to be wary i think <laughs> of yeah yeah so maybe um as well as robots we should be definitely wary of ro- robotic humans oh uh, absolutely yes yeah i mean well, yeah there should be more kind of assessment of that when people are going through trainings and you know it's it's different in different professions isn't it as to what's valued as a skill base but yeah i think i certainly in the medical profession that's becoming more valued and there's there's a lot more really highly empathic people going into medicine now than there has been but you know it's still not the main driver for whether you get on a medical degree obviously is it so you know there's certainly things that need to be kind of brought in and developed maybe a bit more when it has so much of an impact okay so is there anything else you wanted to well I just want to uh I know you've got uh, an exercise to finish as we normally do Mm -hmm. I was just gonna say um to everyone who's listened to this um if you have a particular opinion on it or you want to um comment on anything we've said in this podcast uh, if you look in the show notes our contact details are there and you can also engage with us uh on our twitter feed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is at how we care pod yeah yeah so um yeah so you've got an exercise to finish yeah Yeah. okay so it's relatively straightforward so it's just a little bit of a reflection so i want you to think about a person in your life now this could be a friend family member colleague who when you are with them at the moment, whether it's in person or by video call or even telephone, when you're in an encounter with this person, 
you feel fully heard, accepted, loved, listened to, all of that. I want you to, first of all, reflect on that. Kind of get in touch with what that feels like. You know, kind of just think about it a little bit. You could even do it. You could even call that person and then see how it feels, you know. And then as a contrast to that, I just want you to reflect on, again, friend, colleague, family member, who when you interact with them, you almost feel like you're speaking a different language. So the interactions kind of completely miss each other. There's there's like no, no understanding between the two of you at all. You don't feel like they're listening to you or that they understand you at all. And I want you to reflect on what that feels like. And when I say feels like, I actually mean physically. I think emotionally, there's an element of emotionally. And also, you know, you, you, know, some, you get quite angry. But there's also something about engaging with what that feels like physically. Because, you know, I can certainly, as I'm talking about this exercise, feel it in my body what the differences are between those two types of interactions. So, yeah, give that a little try in whatever way you want. You could do it live. So when you're in interaction, or you could just do it by visualising how you feel with those people. And just, yeah, just spend a few minutes with that. And that will tell you something about what we've been talking about today in real life context. Okay. Thanks, Elizabeth. So um, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you for um, listening during 2021. Um, we'll be back with our next episode uh, in the new year in January, where we'll be talking about dealing with illness and work. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hoped you enjoyed this episode. How We Care is brought to you by Elizabeth Turk and Paul Gaunt via Simplecast. Case studies are generalised and do not relate to individual clients. Please subscribe for more episodes, rate us and follow us on Twitter. Details in the show notes for information on upcoming episodes. Many thanks to Ed Tidy for the music and technical assistance. See you next time. See you.